0: Hey Docs, welcome to the Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon McLaughlin. We are the premium location where women physicians come and learn about building profitable businesses so that we can have the freedom to live our best life. We have this podcast. We have a supportive community of over 9,000 women physicians. We do summits. We have a conference coming up in New York on May 20th. If you're in the New York metro area, come just for the day. If you're in from out of town, there's a hotel on premises and we'll be meeting Friday night to do some masterminding and adjourning on Sunday morning. So come and join us. You can find out more on our website at fpestrong.com. I look forward to seeing you guys in person. Now, if you like this podcast, do me a favor, give it a great review and make sure you share it with another doc who can benefit from it. All right, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Today we have Dr. Demis Light with us. She is in pharma, and she's just been appointed some different position, which we'll talk about. But I wanted her to come on because we haven't done a lot in the pharma industry, and I know that there's a lot of questions about how do you get into pharma. And Demis, tell us take your pathway. You're a practicing physician. How? Where did the thought come as far as getting into pharma? Walk us through the transition that you made.
1: Yeah, thank you, Sharon, for for having me. I'm happy to uh, talk about my transition and, and see if it can help anyone do the same. So I am an emergency physician, uh, trained doctor who spent some time in the Army and after getting out of the Army, went to work at a cancer center, MD Anderson. While I was at MD Anderson, um, I had the sweetest job. It was, I had no complaints, you know, even through COVID, we didn't have it that bad, believe it or not. But I was around so many um, interesting people, researchers, um, big research center, kind of the research bug got into me. And I I started really wondering what industry was like and, and, you know, add to that the stress of having two little ones at home. That did weigh on me heavily. Um, At some point, I'm not sure really what happened or when it did, but at some point I decided I wanted to transition. And pharma was... Kind of all I knew. I'd actually worked for pharma prior to medical school as a lab scientist. Um, when I had done my master's way back when, before even medical school, and so I had a little bit of an idea how they worked in general. I knew they had a great. Um, they they really. Uh, um, they really wanted their employees to have a great work life balance, um, and that stayed with me from the days when I worked with Roche. And so that's kind of the first route that I went. Uh, it took me. About a year to transition, that includes from me contemplating the transition, coming to terms with leaving clinical medicine, all the way to accepting a job offer. Active applying took about six months um, and over 100 applications, which is not unusual, as you may hear a lot of people say. Uh, But finally, I made the transition uh, about a year and a half ago, and I spent a year with my first company, a CRO, I learned a ton. It was like being a residency all over again. And within six months of being in that position, I was being heavily recruited for other positions. And finally, um, I just transitioned to another job as a supervisor and a supervisor position doing similar um, jobs. So the opportunities are endless once you're in. The trouble where most people get stuck is trying to get in.
0: Demis, looking back, is there anything that you can give your audience? First of all, for those listening out there, Demis does help with consulting and, you know, getting into farm. It's also really great at doing the resume writing portion of it or what to include in your resume, which we know is so important. That's like the first step, right? So thank you for offering, you know, women physicians or all physicians that service. So what are some of the, like, looking back, what are some of the things that you think after doing 100 applications that maybe you could have changed up a bit or not?
1: Yeah, so I have, I realized I didn't have a strategy. And I also realized that a lot of the people that come to me for help don't have a strategy. It's hard to know what strategy when you're not familiar with the field. So what I wish I knew was figuring out what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go into pharma. However, I got on that bandwagon where I was applying to every and any position that was not clinical, just like a lot of my colleagues. I was applying to utilization management. I was applying to MSL roles in in pharma. I didn't even know what the roles were in pharma. It took a long time for me to figure out, and I did it on my own, which brings me to my next point. I wish I would have known there was help. Eventually, about halfway through my journey, I found help, and I took some courses, and I hired a coach who uh walked me through some of these things and helped me tremendously and i wish from the beginning i would have narrowed down my search because i think those 100 applications happened because i did not know what i wanted and i was just kind of applying very broadly and my resume wasn't fitting with those positions so i had a big old resume with three pages and it had utilization management skills on there and it had you know pharma safety skills in case it was a pharmacovigilance job and it had you know, research skills on there. So when a recruiter saw it, they probably were reading it not knowing really what my resume was geared towards. So I think that once I hired the help, uh, I took a course and I hired the coach, they were able to get me more focused. And, um, and then it just kind of took off from there. But that's probably the biggest thing that I would change if I had to go back. You talked to us
0: about some of the positions that are available for physicians in the pharma industry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the there, there's several, but the three biggest positions are uh, uh, medical affairs, which those tend to be the communicators, right? Those are the face of the company to inside and outside stakeholders. So those are the, the people that you see presenting at that, you know, paid lunch when you go to a conference. Those are the medical affairs, uh, medical directors. Uh, Another position that is available in pharma is safety physician or pharmacovigilance. Those guys and gals are the ones looking over all the safety of the clinical trials, seeing if they can pick up any safety signals. Uh, You know, give you an example. I work at the cancer center. A lot of the patients were on immunotherapy and a lot of the side effects are not yet well known because it's rather new. And so I had a patient that ended up having three immunotherapy related adverse events that overlapped. And, you know, that's just recognizing an adverse event. But I went and quickly Googled it. And, you know, PubMed showed me that there was several cases. That was me figuring out a safety signal. Eventually, I ended up publishing a case series from MD Anderson. And within a month, not even a month, within a week of my paper being live, Merck contacted me saying, hey, you reported stuff with our drug. I need to know all this information. The people who send the letter are not the physicians, but the people analyzing the data, the people looking up at that data of who publishes what, those are the physicians. And lastly, uh, the third most common um, position is clinical development or medical monitor. And those are physicians who have some sort of um, research background typically, and they will be monitoring the studies. So they will be essentially the guardians of that protocol. They will ensure that the sites uh, and the PIs do what they're supposed to do, that no one deviates from the protocol if there's any questions or any issues. They're basically the middleman between the site and the sponsor or or the big pharma who's making the, um, the drug. The positions um, that are available are regulatory writing or medical writing, if, if you have experience in that, and um, MSL, which is a medical science liaison. And MSL is not a salesperson, but you are a client-facing uh, person position you will travel to doctors offices and you are the educator in the field instead of being in the educator in the office which is that medical director the msl goes to the doctor's office and says listen i'm not here to say you anything but i'm here to tell you about Zarelto or whatever drug this is the latest literature what questions do you have So those are the biggest roles in pharma um for physicians thank you so much
0: for that <laughs> So tell us about the new role. What is that exactly? like? Talk to us about a CRO.
1: Yeah, so a CRO is um, a contract research organization, and that is, again, kind of the middleman. It's a contracting agency that gets used by the big pharma, biotechs, little pharma, anybody that wants to run a test on anything, whether it's a device or a drug or do regulatory writing or anything, and they don't have the manpower or the desire or the finances to do it in-house, they will hire somebody. It's like you hiring a cleaning lady. You can do it yourself, but you don't want to do it for X, Y, or Z reasons. So they hire a CRO, and CROs typically offer all sorts of services. They could be hired by a company to do only safety review or only protocol development, or they could hire the company to the CRO to do the full study, and the full study, of course, involves a lot of things depending on the client, but it could be all the way from make sure that the study starts up, the CRO will collect and identify the sites, the PIs, um, and so on, all the way to the closure of the study, including monitoring, safety, regulatory, biostatistics. So it's a big team of people. No one works in a silo in pharma. Um, and so the CRO is just there kind of as a, as a third-party contractor to do these things. And as such, you have to go out and, and get the business, right? Nobody's going to come to you and say, here, just do this for me. Big pharma usually goes or little pharma or biotechs usually goes to two or three CROs. And then you 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 go to a bid defense where you try to defend your stance. Hey, this is why I'm charging you this much. And, and here's why I think we're the best. It's like getting quilt from three cleaning ladies. And then you eventually decide, hey, I liked her better, even though she's a little bit more expensive. I like that team a little bit better. That's what a CRO does. And in my new position, I am actually, um, I was hired to develop the medical team, which is very exciting. Um, it's a smaller CRO that's growing at very uh, high speed, and they're hiring medical monitors, which is what I have been for the past year. And now that medical monitor is going to be reporting to me. So it's, it's a very exciting and challenging position, but I'm taking it in stride like I did with my first job. I will learn, I will learn the job, and I will good at it because that's what we women physicians do. We excel um, once we're in a position where we have to show what, we are, what we're made of. Davis, and then the other thing that comes up is, you know, it, how often do you
0: have to go into the office? Is it every day? Are you better off being like in New Jersey or where there's pharmaceutical companies? Tell us about the, the either remote or hybrid or how close you need to be to the office.
1: So, yeah, that is totally dependent on the job and the company. Uh, CROs in general, when you're doing medical monitoring for them, by the way, medical monitoring is the job itself. The title will be medical director. So you might see medical director across the board in different companies, but you have to look at the job description and see what you're going to be doing. Because you may have a medical director for medical affairs, one for clinical development, and one for for safety. Um, But CROs in general tend to be remote um, because you can be monitoring 10, 11 trials at the same time. And they're all different sponsors in different geographic places. You may have to travel to go to a face-to-face with defense. But generally speaking, the CROs are the more remote-friendly um, uh, companies. Then, um, you know, when it comes to being MSL, obviously that's field-based. So you will have to travel, whether that's a local travel You know, just let's say I'm in Houston, in the Houston area to target MD Anderson, let's say the cancer center. That's one thing. A lot of people have to take planes and and travel to a region. So they get assigned a region. Um, Medical affairs, uh, from my understanding, they do travel occasionally, but they can work remote. So it's, it's not. And again, depending if the office, if the particular company wants you to go into the office once or twice a week, that's kind of their setup. Some companies like Merck are a little less remote-friendly than others. Um, But in general, the medical affairs job can be done in a hybrid approach. But realizing that you will have to travel to conferences and to meet some key opinion leaders because you are the face of the company. So you're going to have to go out there and mingle with people. Safety tends to be remote as well. Again, the setup will depend on the company. They might require you to go once or twice to the office. And then finally, clinical development is very similar. can be done remotely. Uh, Some companies will prefer you to be in the time zone of where that company is. Some companies can say, well, listen, I just need you in the office once a month because I need to show your face to everybody else. Um, And some others will say, I need you in twice a week. Um, So it just really depends. If I had to go from most remote to least remote, it will be CRO with MSL being the least remote. And somewhere in the middle will be safety and, and medical affairs. All right. Thank you. Tell us how you help others. If somebody was listening and they wanted to
0: reach out to you. How would they do that?
1: Yeah. So I I do have a uh, Facebook group with um my company name, which is Nemuri Group, and, and we can put that in the notes. Um, But they can either reach out to me through there or go to the nemurigroup.com website. And what I offer is I, I typically... Um, I like to talk to the clients or the folks that want to come to me for help to see where it fits. So we will talk initially in an initial consultation and we'll talk about their needs and if I can help them. Um, Resume writing is the most common service that's requested of me. And I can do that for different fields, not just pharma. So typically with resume writing, I offer different packages depending whether you want me to work on your LinkedIn. Some people have no idea what LinkedIn is and they say, yes, please. Some others are like, you know, I've got that. I just need the document. Um, so depending on the needs, um, I, I offer different services. And similarly with coaching, I do offer coaching where I can actually hold somebody's hand from the beginning off. They don't know what's going on all the way to they get an interview, but it's based on an hourly, um, you know, on an hour time frame. So. They can buy X amount of hours and they can use it whenever they wish. If they want to wait six months because they've been applying and they want to hold that last hour for when they get an interview, I do that too. So I'm very flexible. My goal is, you know, obviously this is not my main gig. My goal is not to get rich up for this. My goal is to help others because I wish somebody, I wish I would have known that that was available sooner when I was going through this.
0: Right, and then lastly, the salaries. Uh, somebody starting in CRO or different positions, what do you expect their salary to be?
1: So, I, I think that obviously there's a lot of different um, factors to this, including specialty and so on. In general, I would say uh, it's not unusual to get anywhere between 200 and 300. Uh, some I've heard some people, you know, get an initial offer to 40s to 50s. It's not unusual to get a 250 offer, but that's just the base salary. Uh, most companies, CROs, as well as biotech and big pharma, will offer a bonus structure, which is given at the end of the year, and that's based off of your base salary. I always encourage everyone to negotiate. What's the worst they can say is no? You got nothing to lose. I negotiated my first salary, and it went up by 20k. My base. So, and I was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? You know, I don't want to blow this. Are they going to rescind the offer? It doesn't happen. All they could say is no. Um, but generally speaking, 200 or 300, of course, there's going to be outliers. Um, if I've known folks who have done research in industry for years and years and years, and they're professors in cancer oncologists, which is very hot, they may start over 300, but it's not, it's not the norm, um, but it's very easy to move up with after six months to a year. Um, I did, another colleague of mine also left after a similar time with a 25% increase in the salary, doing the same job at a different company. So I think if it's financially feasible for somebody to take a small pay cut initially, they should do it. But some people may not need to take a pay cut depending on what they're making clinically. Darius, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for all of your help. Absolutely, Sharon. Thank you so much. And if please, if there's any questions, I always encourage everyone to reach out to me through LinkedIn. I don't charge. I love to um, send messages on there. And I am always happy to connect with folks who are looking for jobs and and give them ideas and help and network, because I think that's a big part of this. So open to that if anybody wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on another episode of Female Physician Entrepreneur's Podcast. If you like us, please give us a nice review and tell your family and friends about us. We'll see you on another episode.